If you have your Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you are new with us or been out for a few weeks, we're going through a series of sermons called One Another, where we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 16 and seeing the way that God brings together the church, see the way that God empowers us to worship, to grow in our faith, to reach out. And so last weekend, Andy Harrison was here and preached through 1 Corinthians 13 as part of our marriage conference weekend. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read through 1 Corinthians 13 and then go up to 14 verse 1, which is really the text for the sermon this morning is 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. But the way it works is 13 ties back to 12, it points ahead to 14, and so we're trying to tie all of that together this morning. So I want us to start over, and anytime we can read 1 Corinthians 13, that's a good thing. So we're going to do that as, as we start out here. And just a quick note, if you're someone that likes a little bit of structure with the sermon and needs something to follow along with, on the back of the bulletin there are some notes that uh, if you like to reference that and that's helpful for you, be sure and, and utilize that however you'd like. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a claning symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith Hope and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let's pray together as we start. Even as you sit there, use this as just a moment of silence. We know we run through busy lives and you have things to do this afternoon. Life comes, again, Monday quickly. Just the gift of silence and reflecting on what it means to worship together. Take a moment to pray for the people that are sitting around you, for the people in your, your family, your friends. Father, thank you for the chance to sing about the foundation that we have in your word, the foundation that we have in Christ. The weight of looking at these passages and really difficult, sometimes controversial things that, that come up 
Father, that we would not lose sight of the hope that we have in Christ, the foundation we have in your word, the power that comes through your spirit. God, we want everything we do, whether we're sitting in a building like this, reading your word, thinking about the meaning of it, singing together. When we walk out of here, the conversations we have, the things we do this afternoon, Father, we want those to glorify and honor you. Let us not lose that focus. Let us not lose that purpose. We make the most of what you've given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I don't know about your family. No pressure if this is not you individually. But we are really into the Olympics. Uh, we love the Olympics. If pressed, I would have to admit that I probably prefer the Summer Olympics to the Winter Olympics, just, just in general. But around our house, it doesn't matter. If it's the Olympics, we're all in to, uh, to watch, to catch whatever we want. This is the time where everyone goes to their phone, as I did this last week, to look up the curling rules uh, to know what's happening when you're curling. So when we were in Calgary this last summer, driving down one of the roads, off to the side, just like you would see a gym here, there's a curling place there in Calgary. I so badly wanted to stop and go inside and try how hard it was to, to measure the stone, you know, down there on the ice and, and have no idea what you do with that broom, but like just to sweep the broom and see if you can make the stone go faster or not. Uh, it looks really fun. Uh, so I like to watch that. You watch all these sports that you know if you tried them, it would be all over. <laughs> it would be the end. Like we were watching the skeleton last night. The idea that you're holding on to that little bitty board uh, shooting down there to, to go down there. Uh, something about watching these Olympians and you rejoice with them when they do well. You hurt for them when they don't do well. One of the things we were watching the other night, there was an interview that Michaela Schifrin, one of the uh, women skiers for the United States who specializes in the slalom, she was being interviewed about her preparation for the Olympics and her de desire, and she talked about what it means as an athlete to have goals and aspirations and things that you're aiming at. And she talked about in her interview how sometimes people might look down on having big goals or big aspirations, but she said those aspirations, those goals, those things, those drive me because I know what I'm pursuing. I know what I want to achieve. I'm going to do anything that it takes to be able to reach that point. Sometimes, and there's a good and a bad side to this, but sometimes if we're not careful, when it comes to our Christian life and when it comes to being a part of a church, we lose some of that aspiration. We lose some of that desire. We lose some of that drive. Instead, we just find ourselves bouncing along day to day, minute to minute. What are we aiming for? What are we pursuing? At a 30,000 foot level, there's a question here for your life, and it's, what am I pursuing? What do I ultimately desire? What do I aspire to be and to do? Every one of us could answer that in particular ways. What is my life aiming at? What am I pursuing with all of my time, my money, my energy? What do I want to gain? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 1, Paul helps to answer this for the Corinthians. Look at what he says in 14 verse 1. He says, pursue love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially 
that you may prophesy. What he does here is he ties back to chapters 12 and 13, and he looks ahead to chapter 14 with these two things that he wants them to give their focus to. He says, pursue love. Give yourself to understanding what it means to live out Christian love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, the empowerment, the enablement that God's Spirit gives to be able to live for him. These two things, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, those are the things that he wants the Corinthians to aspire to, to reach for, to make as the goals for their lives. And what that's going to do for us this morning is it's going to give us two things to put our focus on. What does it mean to pursue love? The word pursue is a continual idea. It's not this idea of go after this and ultimately you're going to reach your destination. It's an ongoing pursuit that I'm constantly growing in understanding what it means to be someone who is a loving person, who expresses Christian love in my life. And desire, it has a negative idea to the word sometimes. It can mean envy. But I have a a burning desire, almost a jealousy, that God would use my life to make an impact for others. That's a good desire. That's a good aspiration. God, please use my life to make an impact for your kingdom and someone else. Love, spiritual gifts, those are the things that the people are supposed to desire. Those are the gold medals, so to speak, to use a terrible connection illustration. Those are the gold medals there that Paul is setting up saying, if you want to be known for something, pursue these two things. And so that's how we're going to take it this morning. Pursue love. What does that look like? To get that idea, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. If you have your phone and Bible and want to turn there, you can do that. If you don't have access to the Bible in front of you, these verses will be up on the screen. But what we're trying to think about is what does it mean to pursue love alongside this idea of spiritual gifts. Galatians chapter 5 is a fairly well-known section of Scripture, and it's pretty close to uh, Corinthians, so you can get there fairly quickly if you just turn, turn to the right or scroll down on your phone. But it's a section of Scripture sometimes called the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to read this fruit of the Spirit starting in verse 22. So we're in Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Okay, a couple of things to notice from, from this section of Scripture. First, love comes first because in some sense it seems to encompass all the other traits that are listed after it. In fact, you can take the rest of the fruit of the Spirit that's listed after love, and you can go back to 1 Corinthians 13, and you can begin to tie together qualities that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 13 about love with fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, where you can see the way they fit together. And when we see the fruit of the Spirit showing up in 1 Corinthians 13, just like Andy said last week, it's expression of God's character. Just like the spiritual gifts that God gives his people are expressions of God's character, love is expression of God's character. God is love. So when you get to the fruit of the Spirit, all the fruit of the Spirit that is mentioned is describing who God is. It's getting at the character of God. God is loving. God is joyful. God is peaceful, God is patient, God is kind, good, faithful, 
gentle, perfectly under control. Those type of things are about when they show up in our life, they represent the image of God worked out among his people. But there's one thing in particular that I want you to notice about this. The word fruit is singular there. It's not the fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Now that could be, I don't want to make too much out of a small thing, but that could be just because it's kind of a collective noun that's encompassing all of them. But it seems to be intentional that fruit of the Spirit is singular. Here's the reason, I think. It's because you don't get to pick which of those characteristics are a part of your life. Spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, we know from Scripture, not everyone has all of them. So you're not going to have all the gifts that are mentioned in Scripture. God doesn't enable everybody in the same way. When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, though, God's Spirit in our life, these should exemplify all of our lives. In other words, I don't get to say, you know what, I'm a peaceful person, but I'm just not very joyful. Or, I'm a kind person, but I just lack self-control. You don't get to pick and choose the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life. This is all-encompassing work that God wants to do in our lives. Why does he want to do this? Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The reason God does this work in our lives is because naturally, left to ourselves and our sin, we do the opposite of everything listed here. Our lives will begin to show the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. It'll be the fruit of the flesh. All these things that will show up. We're not joyful. We're not peaceful. We cause division. We're not patient. We're constantly irritable. We're not kind. We're actually cruel. All those things have to be crucified. They have to be laid before the Lord, and he begins to transform us and make us new from the inside out so we exemplify what it means to be a loving person. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. There's a process here. If we have been given life by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we've been made new, if we've been saved, then we continue to walk in the power of the Spirit. What God does in our lives at salvation, God's Spirit will continue to do that work throughout our lives. There's an important background here to understand how God's Spirit works in Scripture. God's Spirit works at the moment of salvation when our life is transformed. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're saying, you know what, love, joy, peace, patience, I think that pretty much exemplifies my life as well. Don't miss that those characteristics are not listed as something that we do on our own power, on our own strength. They're things that God does in our lives as he saves us, as, as we're rescued from our sin, we're made new, and we begin to pursue those things. And God's Spirit has inspired the Word of God so we'll know what it looks like to live those things out. God's Spirit saves. God's Spirit has given us his Word. God's Spirit to use kind of a $100 religious word, God sanctifies us. God's Spirit sanctifies means to make holy, to make these things show up in our life that don't naturally show up in our life. God does that, and then God gives us these spiritual gifts so that we're able to begin to pursue Him. Why? Because if we're just focused on the gifts 
and not the fruit, you find yourself in a very dangerous place where Christianity becomes more about what you do than about who you are. The danger is that we would just want the gifts to be able to do something to help somebody else, and it wouldn't come from a life that has been changed from the inside out. Being who I am and doing what God calls me to do, those two always have to work together. Because here's where we get in trouble. Here's where we get in trouble. If you have a very gifted person in Christianity, and maybe they're placed on a stage somewhere, or they're given a position of influence, and they're extremely gifted, extremely talented, they can go for a while. And what happens is people start to make excuses when the fruit of the Spirit is not present in that person's life. And what is said is things like, well, that's just their personality. That's just their character. That's just who they are. And what you do, you start to overlook lack of the fruit of the Spirit because of what someone can produce, because of what someone can do. And any time we unhook fruit of the Spirit from gifts of the Spirit, we're walking into a very dangerous position. Because that person is elevated because of what they could produce, what they could do for us, and not because of who they were at their core. Whether it's yourself, speaking of just ten fingers pointed at myself, whether it's yourself or you're thinking about someone else, what we're trying to avoid is saying something like, well, I know they're not very patient, but that's just who they are. They're just a really strong leader. No, in fact, what they need is the power of God's Spirit to work within them so that we live out what it means to be a patient person. Well, I know they're just a hard-driving leader, but they get things done. I, I, I know they're not very kind, and they don't really do good things to other people, but man, at least they get things done. You've unhooked gifting what God might call us to do from fruit of the Spirit, what God wants to do within us. Those two things are always meant to be tied together. Continuing on, I want you to see Ephesians chapter 5 up here. Chapter 4. The way this all ties together. Paul says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When the people of God are formed by God's Spirit to have the fruit of the Spirit within them, and every part is doing the work that God has called them to do, that is when the body grows. We never want to separate fruit of the Spirit from gifts of the Spirit. Now, when we're talking about fruit and we're talking about gifts, fruit is what God does in us, Gifts is what God does through us. But there's a question that comes out of 1 Corinthians that's actually a pretty controversial sort of question in New Testament and Christian life. And I want to introduce you to it. I don't know that I can answer the question completely because it's just really hard to untangle. And I'm still trying to work some things out. But it's important enough in this idea that I want to show it to you. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in your Bible. I want to point something out here. 1 Corinthians... Chapter 13, and we're going to look in verses 8 through 10. There's a couple of places that this idea shows up. But when we're thinking about the fruit and the gifts working together, look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. 
Love never ends. You could say there, the fruit of the Spirit never ends. That's a work of God in our lives that is continual, that's consistent, that's ongoing. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Let me give you an idea of what's going on here. So there is uh, a debate, I guess you would say, in, in the Christian life about whether or not all of the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament, the ways that God's Spirit would enable or empower His people, whether or not all of those gifts continue. Are the gifts that you see listed in the New Testament, do they continue today in the church? And there's kind of two camps. Uh, Christianity does not need any more help being divided into controversial two camps, but, but just to get your mind around this, here's kind of the way this works. One group might be called the cessationists. Not the greatest term, but it's the one that's often used. Cessationists. This would be the idea that certain gifts mentioned in the New Testament, and, and usually we're talking here about speaking in tongues, prophecy, miraculous healings, uh, doing the work of miracles, that type of work, that that was confined, for lack of a better word, to the time of the New Testament, and God does not work in those particular ways through His Spirit. It's not that God can't do miracles. That's a very important distinction. God might continue to do miracles, but He doesn't enable or equip or empower particular people with those gifts any longer. In that camp is people are, are people who are very hypercritical about that view, and anyone who holds an opposing viewpoint is walking in dangerous demonic territory, but there are also people who hold that viewpoint who are very humble and cautious about it, just saying, I don't see God working in those ways anymore, and I think there are reasons why, why he doesn't. If we're not careful with this idea of cessationism, it's often driven by a lot of intellectual pride, Sometimes it's driven by the idea of fear of something that looks strange. If you grew up or you've been a part of, or maybe most of the time you attend a church where they're speaking in tongues or prophecy, or you've been to a healing seminar or a conference before, you've had people around you who, who claim to do miracles, and you've seen that abused, or it just comes across as all wrong or manufactured, it's easy to be turned away from that and to say, that is not at all what the New Testament is talking about. Why are we still doing that? If you find yourself in that cessationist approach that, you know what, there are certain things mentioned in the New Testament that God doesn't do anymore, what I would encourage you to do, and I've listed this on the notes, if, you've, if you're really hard into that camp, I would tell you, one, make sure you have a good biblical argument for why those things have ceased. Because oftentimes, just that looks really strange to me doesn't count as a good argument for why something might not still be part of God's church. And two, I would encourage you to be loving, not fearful toward those who believe that those gifts do continue on. So it's, it's a spirit of love, humble love, humble respect, and, and not, not fear. In the other camp are sometimes what we call continuationists. These are people that believe that God continues to empower people to speak in tongues, continues to empower people to prophesy, 
continues to enable people to heal or to do miracles or to work in ways that seem very miraculous. What happens with continuationism is this idea of sometimes the work that God's Spirit does now is more important than God's Word that's been given to us. We have to be very careful here because sometimes people who emphasize prophecy or miracles or speaking in tongues, that becomes more foundational, more important, even added onto what God has given to us in his word. And you start to get into very dangerous territory at that point because you're saying that somehow God has spoke, spoken in a new way to you individually and everybody needs to hear what you've had to say when in fact God has given us his word right there in front of us through, through scripture. If you're someone who is a continuationist, I would say make sure that the word of God is your foundation for what it means to experience the power of God. Make sure that the focus is on Jesus. Uh, if you've been a part of a church where things were very extreme and very careless in terms of expressions of the Spirit, it can be disorienting when you come in as a guest. We're going to talk about this more next week, but I can remember as a high schooler, we went to a church one time to see the power team perform. Has anybody ever seen the power team perform? Okay, for better or worse, there's a few of us who have seen uh, the power team. These are guys that are extremely strong, uh, and they use these feats of strength, and then they transition it into sharing the gospel or, or sharing their testimony. Well, this power team uh, demonstration was hosted at a church that was very much continuationist. They believed in all the expressions uh, of the Holy Spirit. And we walked in there as a little Southern Baptist rule youth group into this power team uh, presentation at a church that believed in full expression of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you, we did not hear much about Jesus uh, because we were so incredibly distracted by what was happening around us. I'd never seen anybody run uh, in church. I ran in church one time like to get away from my dad, who I knew was going to probably uh, get on to me if he caught me. But like that was the extent of, of running in church. And we definitely didn't dance in church or wave banners in church or anything like that. So we had never seen that before. But what I saw in that experience was, one— Many of those people were very authentic about what they were doing. But two, it can become very distracting. And that becomes the focus and not the word of God, not the person of Jesus Christ. And so there, there's a danger there. You say, Owen, well, which one is right? Ah, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's quite that simple. I will tell you that just from a personal experience of studying Scripture and reading about this, I do put my eggs in the continuationist basket, but, but cautiously humbly in the sense that I'm just in reading the New Testament I don't find the compelling argument I don't find this idea that God would stop enabling his people to do the things that are listed there in the New Testament but I do understand very much the tension between we see the Spirit of God at work in the time of the New Testament and we don't always see the Spirit working with the same regularity we don't always see the Spirit working in the same degree. It seems to be very contextual. If you're in a situation where you're a missionary and you're going to a place that's not heard the gospel, we hear a lot of reports of healing. We hear a lot of reports of miracles. We hear a lot of reports of God's Spirit. And so it seems like in situations like that, God does continue to enable his people to work in these particular ways. 
Here's the caution, though. The caution is that we would only equate those type of miracles as being the work of God's Spirit. This is the idea of, well, really spiritual things happen if a miracle like that happens, when in fact, the work of God's Spirit often happens in the mundane things of life. God's Spirit is at work when a miracle is performed and someone is drawn to hear about Jesus. God's Spirit is at work when your kids are driving you crazy on Saturday and you love them and care about them and use it as a gospel moment. God's at work when someone speaks in a ton. God's at work when you are kind to your employees at work and you love them and care about them when it would be easier to do something else. What we don't want to do is say God's Spirit is only at work in these particular ways, when in fact we've already seen that God's greatest work with His Spirit is to create the fruit of the Spirit, to, to make that fruit of the Spirit grow up in our lives. Where do we see this? One of the places we see this is in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to point you to 1 Peter chapter 4, because what 1 Peter 4 does is it helps us to understand why it's so important to keep the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit tied together. What is God seeking to do through his people? If you're not familiar with your New Testament, 1 Peter is toward the end. You start to get fairly close to the end of your Bible. You go past Hebrews, James, and then you get to the letters that, that Peter wrote. And we're going to look in 1 Peter chapter 4. I want you to look down starting in verse 8. What is God doing when he grows up that fruit in our lives, when he empowers us with these particular gifts to be able to build up the body? What's, what's he doing there? 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. There's that emphasis on love that we've already seen. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's where it's so helpful, and we try to use this language on purpose at Emmaus. At Emmaus, we say that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. We exist to speak about Jesus and to show Jesus with our lives. You say, Owen, oh, where do you get that? Why do you use that? 1 Peter 4 says that when God's Spirit is at work, when God empowers his people it really falls into two categories. There are gifts of speaking, and there are gifts of serving. And within speaking and serving, there are sometimes very miraculous manifestations of that, and sometimes there are very straightforward, regular, mundane expressions of that. When you think about this idea of serving, someone might serve by being a part of a miracle happening, Somebody else might serve by being a person of hospitality. In fact, hospitality is what's listed here in 1 Peter chapter 4. That if you show hospitality to someone without grumbling, that 
is a work of God's Spirit in your life. When you think about the way that that works here at Emmaus, and you think, you know what, God could never use me at Emmaus. There's really, I, I just don't see a place to fit in. What would I do? We need right now to triple the number of people who work with our greeting ministry and hospitality ministry. Because, here's a couple of reasons. One, we don't want anybody to be able to come in and not be loved on, to be cared for, to be able to know where to go. You have to have a detailed map to know where to go to get around Emmaus, and so we need people to be able to be a part of that process to greet and care for people. The other part of that is most research has shown that people make up their mind about whether, they're not, whether or not they're going to return to a church in the first 10 minutes of being there, which is such a relief for me uh, as, as the preacher. Long before they've ever heard me, they've pretty much made up their mind about whether or not that's a place I'm going to come back to. And you would say, oh, hospitality, greeting, caring for people, that's not really not that big a deal. In fact, it is. It is a work of God's Spirit in your life when you are able to care and love for and show mercy and hospitality to people. Think about speaking. We're so bad in Christianity about elevating certain types of speaking. If you speak from a platform, especially if you happen to speak well from a platform, or if you have the, uh, the God-given spirit-empowered ability for miraculous speaking to speak into situations with spiritual insight, that is elevated. The woman who encourages a young mom not to give up, that is just as much the work of God's Spirit in speaking as the person who stands on the platform and is used by God in that way. One of the ways that we become really guilty about this in Christianity is someone who is an athlete or someone who is a celebrity is automatically assumed to have the spiritual gift of speaking. And so that person is thrust into the limelight and given an opportunity to speak about the things of God when maybe they're a really new believer. Or maybe that's not particularly the way that they're gifted. But because we live in a culture that honors celebrities and honors athletes, we automatically put them in that situation of speaking. And what that does is says, that's really important and the young mom who needs encouragement not to give up, oh, that's just something off to the side. Now that's a really dangerous way to look at it because God's spirit is just as much at work in both of those situations. Uh, Jeff Yorg, who is the president of the Baptist Seminary out in California, he's the chaplain for the San Francisco Giants. And he's talked about how several of those baseball players, Major League Baseball players, have become Christians during the time that he's been the chaplain for the Giants. And he said that he purposefully protects those guys from speaking opportunities and interviews because he knows that even as a mature Christian, you get on stage and you get in front of a camera and you're starting to be asked questions about your faith, it's tough for any of us to be able to articulate what God is doing in our lives. Or there's this growth that needs to happen. And so instead of elevating to someone and saying, wow, if you're really spiritual, you're going to be out there speaking, he says, guys, just join a church. Be a part of a Bible study. Learn to live out your faith at home, and God's going to empower you to make a difference. God's Spirit is at work in both of those situations. Why does this matter for 1 Corinthians? Well, in the city of Corinth, they were obsessed with hype. They loved skeleton and hated curling. Uh, they loved downhill skiing and hated figure skating. Like, they wanted whatever was big, 
whatever was prominent. Go back to 1 Corinthians with me, and we're going to end up there. We're going to end up looking again at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'm doing this as a preview for what we're going to get into next week, talking about the gifts of prophecy and the gift of tongues and how that operates in, in a church. But I want you to see just for a second, 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. There in verse 2 and 3, the difference between speaking in tongues and prophesying really boiled down to one, speaking in tongues, built up the person. That person became a prominent member because they could do something that other people couldn't do. Prophesying, even though that benefited people immediately because it spoke the word of God into their lives, prophesying was downgraded because it didn't seem quite as extravagant. It didn't seem quite as extreme. So what was happening in the church at Corinth is something that happens in the church of America. Here's, here's what happens. The people who spoke in tongues, they were primarily focused on their relationship with God. That was the main thing. This benefits me. This praises God. This is the main focus. Prophecy was a gift that allowed them to benefit and speak into the lives of people around them. If we're not careful, our spiritual lives, especially coming in here on Sunday morning, is primarily about me and God. As long as me and God have everything worked out, that's the main thing. And Paul says, no, the reason that the fruit of the Spirit is being worked in your life, the reason that you are empowered by God's Spirit to be involved in the church is because he wants to use you to impact those around you. So be very careful in gathering for worship, in being a part of a Bible study, your personal devotions, that you don't only focus on your relationship with God, but you ask the Lord, God, how do you want to use this to impact the people around me? Because when we get this as the only part, we miss the reason that God is working in us. God works in you, the fruit of the Spirit, in order to work through you spiritual gifts. So here's the question as we wrap up this morning. How is God working in you? What does it look like for the fruit of the Spirit to show up in your life? Are you loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind? Are, are those things being worked in your life? If not, this is a time to say, Lord, I submit myself to you. I don't want to pick and choose that. I want you to do that work in my life. And then the second question is, how is God working through you? How has God enabled, empowered, equipped you to impact the people around you. Don't, don't think I've got to be having this role and this situation to do that. God can use you as you walk out of this building this morning to speak to someone in encouragement, to serve someone, to speak the gospel to someone. 
How's God working in you? How's God working through you? Here's how we're going to wrap up our time together this morning. Here in just a second, I want to pray for us. After I pray for us, we're going to stand and sing together. During that song, we're going to pass the offering plates around, that this is an act of worship as we give of our offering. If you have one of those guest cards, there's no requirement at all to give financially. We'd love if you'd put that guest or prayer card in the offering plate during this final song. Use this song as a time to say, Lord, how are you working in me, and how do you want to work through me for the building up of your church? Let's pray together. Father, we know that in 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul told the people to pursue love and to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Most of us in here, in fact, probably all of us in here, are not going to win an Olympic gold medal. But when we think about the things that we pursue, so often I know in my life, I pursue things that frankly don't matter. And I desire things that aren't particularly important or might only benefit me. But God, help us to be a people. Help me to be a pastor. Help us to be a church where we get those two things correct. We pursue love through the power of your spirit and we earnestly desire spiritual gifts that would allow us to build up one another, to encourage one another, to build up the church. Father, would you do that work in us And would you do that work through us so that you alone get the glory for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.